Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Today we're going to finish up our series that we've been in for 12 weeks now, uh, dealing with uh, this topic of true life. Uh, Even though it's the end of our series, I hope it will not be the end of you considering what true life is in Christ and and, and pursuing that. Over the last couple of weeks, we specifically focused upon our need to have a relationship with Christ. Because we talked about the reality of a place of judgment that lasts for all eternity for people who die without Jesus. And then last week... We talked about how to really have true life by coming to faith uh, in Christ. If you have done that, if Christ is your Savior, and you have true life in Christ, then you need to live for Him. In other words, coming to life in Christ doesn't mean that you trust Him, and then you think, okay, I'm on the way to heaven, now I can live however I want to live, and do whatever I want to do in my life. Instead, if you know Christ is your Savior, your goal is to now live for Him. So our question as we finish up this series is that. How, how can I live for Jesus? How do I live for Jesus? A lot of people have questions about that or questions about how, how can I know God's will. Um, I understand a lot of times when people ask, well, how can I know God's will for my life? They're talking about things such as vocation or whatever it might be. And I know it might sound overly simplified, but uh, you can find out God's will for your life by reading what he says in the Bible. (laughs) That's what he uses to communicate to us uh, about his will. In a similar way, we can discover how we ought to live for Jesus by looking to the Scriptures. To boil it down a little bit, you could say this, living for Jesus means to follow him. It basically means following Christ. Living for Jesus means you're following him. To emphasize that, I want to read some passages of Scripture, some verses, before we really get into the, to the meat of the message, just for you to see how often, and this isn't an exhaustive list at all, but just to give you the sense of how we, as his disciples, his believers, how we're supposed to follow him. Jesus said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So following him means he wants to do something with us. He wants to make us. And in this instance, he's wanting to make his disciples those who will go after the souls of others, who will reach out and fish after them. Matthew ten thirty eight. and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Luke chapter 9, he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. That might be the point that we wrestle with a lot, because you see, if we're wanting to be like Jesus, that means we're not being like ourselves. You understand the difference? We need to deny ourselves and take up our cross daily and follow him. Follow me is what Jesus said. Let's keep reading. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. For they know his voice and a stranger they'll not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of the strangers. Too often I think we get distracted by other voices. When living with Jesus means we're following him, we're staying focused upon his voice. 
John chapter 12, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. First Peter chapter 2, 21 says, For to this you've been called. This is what God's called us to. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. So when we wrestle with this question about how can I or how do I live for Jesus, you need to understand a big part of the victory in that is if you look and see what Jesus does and then you follow Jesus. We, we need to live for Christ individually. In other words, in our own individual lives, in our own individual choices, but also corporately. And that means together as a church body. So today, to help emphasize that, we're kind of unveiling to you our new vision and mission statement. Now, I will, in a later time, do a series that deals with these topics more fully, but you see some new signs on the wall. And I realize we've got to do our, our lighting a little bit different. The, uh, the lighting was up and the signs came in, so we've got to work on that to where it's more readable. But it'll also be on the screen for you. Our, our vision statement is this, and we've had a vision statement, but maybe in the past it was not concise enough for you to memorize it. In both this vision statement and mission statement, we would love for you to memorize it, but not just memorize it, mentor it. Do it in your life. Carry it out in your life. Model it out in, in your life. Our vision statement is this, that we need to be the body of Christ. We did a series extensively a few months ago that talked about, you know, being a church member and what that looks like. And we talked a whole lot about the body of Christ. So that's who he calls us to as a church together. We're, we're his body. And, and our vision is also this. We want to build each other up. Since we're connected together and we're part of his body, we need to be caring for each other, loving each other, building each other up, strengthening each other in our faith. And here's why. Because God's called us through the Great Commission to change the world. And to help us be more effective in changing the world, we need to be more effective being the body of Christ. And we need to do a better job building each other up so through that we can change the world. The mission, in other words, the way we carry out the vision, the mission statement, it sounds really similar to the vision statement, and it should because it kind of gives us maybe a different way to view it. But, but first of all, you and I need to be connecting with God ourselves. In other words, you need to have faith in Jesus, but not just that. Connecting with God involves more than just a one-time decision in your life to believe in Jesus Christ. Connecting with God is a day-to-day -day thing that you need to be involved with. Always in your life, staying connected to Him. We need to be connecting with God. We also need to be connecting with others because how can we build each other up? How can we strengthen each other, support each other if we're not connecting with each other? So we need to be connecting with, with others. And then we need to be connecting others with God. Because there's a lost world around us that doesn't know Christ as their Savior. So we'll unpack that in more detail in a later series, probably after first of the year. But that's just for you to be thinking about it. Get that in your mind. I hope someone can walk up to you after a few weeks and you start thinking about this and they could ask you a question. What's the vision of the church that you attend? And you could pop it out. What's the mission of the church where you attend? And you could tell them what our mission is. And not just tell them, but make it so real in your heart and in your life 
that you're wanting to, to, to live it out, that you are living it out individually and, and corporately. We need, to, we need to live it out in our lives. We need to model those things. In the video this week, if you happen to watch the video, truelife.org, Matt uh, Wilmington, he's the director of ministries of, of Thomas Road uh, Church uh, in Lynchburg, Virginia. And as he's talking about how to live for Christ in the video, he, he gives four main elements in how to live for Christ. Um, I want to simplify a little bit more because I thought some of his four were packed underneath some bigger headings. So I want us to look today at two main elements, two big elements about how we can live for Jesus. They can help us live for Jesus better. Here's the first element. The first element is fellowship. And, and I've already alluded to it in, in the vision and the mission statement. Fellowship, you could also say it like this, belong to a church family. Because we need each other. We, we need to encourage each other. We need to love each other. We need to even help teach each other. And you'll see that in a moment as I break that down a little bit more. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us this. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 9 says, So then you're no longer strangers and aliens. That's who we used to be before we knew Christ as our Savior. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. In other words, we're, we're part of the same family. We're part of the same household as believers. Romans chapter 12 and verse 5 says, So we, though many, are one body in Christ, yet even though we are many one body... We are also individually members of one another. We're connected to each other. That's why we need to think of ourselves as, as family. And we need to think of this, this idea of fellowship to help us grow as Christians, to help us live more like Jesus. We need this fellowship with each other. I found a quote this week by uh, Dr. Ray uh, Ortland that says this, the Christian who's not committed to a group of other believers for praying, sharing, and serving so that he is known as he knows others is not an obedient Christian. He is not in the will of God. However vocal he may be about his theology, he's not obeying the Lord. That's how important he's saying it is for us to be connected together. We need each other. We need to have that level, that type of, of fellowship. There are benefits to being in fellowship or in a family with each other. Just like there are, are benefits in a, in a human family, there are benefits that we have as a church family. There are a lot of benefits in a human family. I mean, go really basic for a moment. If you're a baby, you're awful thankful there's somebody to change your diaper. Amen? If not, you're going to be laying around in a bunch of stink. So you're glad there's someone there to help you with that. Someone to help feed you as you grow. Someone to help you learn how to tie your shoes, how to, how to dress, how to bathe yourself. And hopefully if you've got good parents, they're also teaching you other principles that when you launch out of that home, you have also have the benefits of being taught how to, how to live yourself, how to take care of yourself. They're, those are benefits being part of a family. And in a similar way, there are benefits that we can have as Christians within a church. And while there are a lot of benefits, I want to talk about two, two primary benefits out of the many that I could talk about. Here's one benefit of fellowship. Here's one benefit of being in a church family. Being taught to live for Jesus. Being taught to live for Jesus. 
Acts chapter 2 verse 42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayers. They, they were devoted to instruction. And in parentheses, the, the word means the act or the manner. In other words, it's more to instruction than just what you know in your head. You need to be acting it out. They're devoted to instruction, to doctrine. The, the root word means to, to learn or to teach. So, see, the teaching benefit that we have being part of a fellowship is not just you being taught, but also you being used to teach others. We need to spend quality time with each other. The word fellowship is a Greek word koinonia that you've probably heard before, but it means partnership, participation, benefaction, communication, distribution. The root words means a share, an associate, a, command, a companion, a partaker, a partner, uh, common as in sharing things together, union. You, we, we need each other. We're, we weren't called as Christians to be spiritual hermits. We weren't supposed to trust in Jesus as our Savior and then just go off and live by ourselves somewhere. We need each other. In order that we might experience the things of, of Koinonia that's talked about there, where we have a, a partnership and, and benefit from being together, where we communicate, we can distribute, take care of each other's needs. We can share with each other. We need each other as a church family. Now, the way we approach church at day three, that means there's a large group. That's why I have the, the large group up there in parentheses. This is the large group right now. And you may look around and think, well, it's not really that large of a group. Well, in terms of the average church in America, the average size of a church in America is about 73 people. So we're about double that right now. So in terms of the average church in America, just in this service, we're about double that. We, we had about 100 in the first service, and so we were beyond that then. So it is kind of a large group. And while you may know some people, you don't know everyone here. You might recognize some people. You may know some things about people. Some of you may have things in common to where you'll get together and talk about your hobbies and things like that uh, before the service or after the service. But I guarantee you when you come in, there are people that you may think, oh, I think I've seen them before, but I don't know them. And if you don't know them, you don't know anything about them. So while we can have this large group family fellowship that we need, you, you also need a smaller group, and that's what we call our life groups, to where you can connect with someone, to where someone can know you better, and you can know them better, where you can have the chance to teach each other and, and, and be with each other and support each other. That doesn't happen in this large group like it happens in, in a small group. That's why it's very important for you to be part of, of a small group. A lot of times you may think, well, it's just hard. It's hard because it's another night that I have to get out. I understand that. I wrestle with that. Our small group was on Thursday. That was maybe a little bit easier for me, but we moved it to Sunday uh, for this semester. And uh, that can be a little bit difficult sometimes for me because by the time I do two services, uh, get out of here maybe 1 or one thirty. by the time I get through talking to people, go get something to eat, uh, go home and uh, set our dogs out, whatever else I'm needing to, to do. Uh, and, and then I, I start to take a breath and think, oh, it's almost time to go to small group. But I'm always glad I went. Because I find something there that we can't just find here. We, we need 
to be part of something like that, to where we can teach each other and be, and be taught by others. But not just being taught, that's one benefit of being in a fellowship in a church family, being taught how to live for Jesus. But we need to be encouraged to live for Jesus also. So we think about the benefits of fellowship in a church family. One is being taught, but the other one is being encouraged. There's a difference between being taught and being encouraged. Being taught is more like a formal instruction. Being encouraged kind of happens with, with people loving you and caring for you and, and supporting you. And we need that to help us live better for Jesus. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 through 25 says this. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Now, sometimes you'll hear people quote that and say, hey, see there, you're supposed to be in church. Every time the door opens, you're supposed to be in church. It's not a legalistic thing saying you have to be in church. Keep reading. Because it says, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day drawing near talks about that final day. And guys, I tell you, as I listen to the news and look at what's going on on the world scene, I think we're having a lot of signs and we're getting closer and closer and closer to that final day. We would be logically, even if you didn't see all the stuff that's happening on the world scene. But I'm just telling you, there's a lot of stuff for us to worry about. There's a lot of things for us to be depressed and discouraged about. And that's why we need each other all the more, encouraging each other the more as we see the day approaching. We need to be willing to encourage each other and lift each other up. The word for stir up, the phrase there in the Greek means to incite to good or dispute in anger. In other words, part of us encouraging each other uh, can be nurturing, but it can also be correction sometimes. Discipline sometimes. The word encouraging is an interesting word that's used here because it's a, it's a form of the same word that's used to describe the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God is our paraclete, is a, a word that's used in the Greek. And that means the Holy Spirit of God is kind of like our defense attorney who comes alongside of us and, and helps us and supports us and, 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 and stands for us. But here the word is not used talking about the Holy Spirit. The word is talking about you and I as believers encouraging each other. So it's almost like it's telling us that we're to have the role of the Holy Spirit trying to encourage other people's lives. We're to take on this, this ministry to where we call people near. We invite them near. We invoke them. We exhort them. We console them. The root word means to sharpen alongside of. And I can't read that definition without thinking of Proverbs. Because the book of Proverbs tells us this. Iron sharpens iron and another man sharpens another. We need each other like that to rub off on each other, to help us grow like we should as Christians, to help us live better for Jesus. We need other people in our lives. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The word bear has the idea of removal, to lift, to endure even to receive or declare. In other words, you're, you're coming over to someone that has a burden. You're helping to remove that burden. Sometimes it may be you just having to endure that burden. You understand what I'm talking about? There's people that maybe come around and every time they're depressed and discouraged and before long you get to where you're thinking, oh no, not them again. <laughs> but we're called to endure in that with another believer. 
We're called to come over and even receive whatever it is that's burdening them, to, to even declare it. We're, we're to bear one another's. So the word means to reduplicate each other back and forth. Burdens, and that word in the Greek has a notion of going down. Someone with a weight and a load. Now, you may not recognize it sometimes because we come to church on Sunday morning and we greet each other and you say, how are you today? And we put on the little Christian smile and we give the Christianized answer of, oh, I'm fine today, how are you? When in reality... Behind that smile, you've got a burden that's making you go down, that's pulling you down, that's dragging you down. People around you, people sitting near you today, they have burdens that are weighting them down. It's a load, and and we need to bear that, carry that for each other. And it says, by doing so, we fulfill, we complete, and I really like this part of the definition of the Greek word, to complete, to occupy, or to supply, or to accomplish As we bear each other's burdens, we are fulfilling or we're occupying the law of Christ. What was the law of Christ? To do what? To love one another. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But as you and I encourage each other, as we care for each other, as we love each other, that's one thing that will help us live better for Christ. And as we do it, it's as though we are occupying the space that God wants us to occupy. We're occupying the role that God's called us to. We're standing in that position of loving other people as Jesus commanded us to. Now think about it in real logical terms. He commands us here. He tells us that we're to bear each other's burdens. How can I do that if I don't know you? That's why part of being a Christian doesn't mean you trust Christ and you go off and live by yourself somewhere thinking, well, I'm going to heaven one day. You know, and I, I don't really need other people. I don't like people or anything like that. You need other people in your life. You can't bear the burden of someone else unless you know them well enough to find out what the burden is. And a lot of times that does not happen on Sunday morning because we put the little Christian smile on and say we're fine. But it can happen in a small group, in a life group. Where you can have fellowship with someone else and you can find out what they're going through and you can try and help bear that other person's burden because of where they are in their life. We're not going to look at all these verses, and this, is, by the way, is in your notes, so you don't need to try and jot it down if you did get a copy of the, of the updates of bulletin today. But I want you to notice a checklist here of one another's in the Bible. And this isn't an exhaustive list either, but it's a pretty good starting place. As Christians, part of the same family, this fellowship thing we're talking about, fellowship will help us live better for Jesus. We're to love one another. We're to serve one another. We're to accept one another. We're to forgive one another. We're to greet one another. We're to bear one another's burdens. We're to be devoted to one another. We're to honor one another. We're to teach one another. We're to submit one another. We're to encourage one another. Now, that's not a full list, but I think that's a pretty good list for you to start with. And if we start working on those things and those one another's as a checklist for how we need to fellowship with each other and care for each other and love each other, by doing so, we're going to help each other live better for Jesus. Don't you think so? If we're teaching each other and if we're encouraging each other as we should. That's some benefits of being part of a church family, being part of a fellowship. But there are more than just benefits in being part of a fellowship, part of a church family. There's also a function, the function of being part of a fellowship. The function of fellowship in a church family. 
I'm going to give you three quick functions, and then we're going to go to our second main point. Here's function number one. By you being part of a church family, you can be fulfilling your role in the family. Fulfilling your role in the family. I used an illustration a few minutes ago about the benefits of being in a literal human family because you're taught things, you're cared for, you're loved, you're fed, you're nurtured, and things like that in a literal family. Also, in a literal family, there are roles in a literal family. There are roles that the dad fulfills, there are roles that the mom fulfills, there are roles that as the children get older, that, you know, they get to take on responsibility and things like that that they fulfill. Well, just like there are roles in a human family, there are also roles in the church family. And the only way you get to fulfill your role is being engaged and being involved in a church fellowship. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 through 11 says, As each has received a gift. Now, I'm just going to walk through this. They'll leave the verse up as I walk through it some. As each has received the gift. You may be thinking, well, see there, that's my problem. I don't have a gift. I can't function in a church family because I'm not able to do anything. Well, that's not really true. That might be your perception, but God's perception is if you're a believer, he says you have a gift that he's given you. You might not have figured it out yet. You might not have identified it, but you have one. At least one. As each has received a gift, use it. How God has made you, how God has equipped you, the gifts and the abilities that God has given you, He expects you to use that to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, he kind of gives us an illustration himself about what he's talking about. Whoever speaks, let him speak as one that's speaking the oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves, notice this, what does it say? By the strength that who supplies? God supplies. Whatever God calls you to do, God will equip you to do it. Whatever God expects you to do, he will give you the strength and the ability to do whatever it is that God calls you to do. And it will help us live more for Christ if we are in a functioning role within the church family because through that we will find fulfillment. Back up, please. Through the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. See, there's our goal. You don't need to try and fulfill your role in a church so people will think well of you. You need to fulfill your role in a church so people will think well of him. The glory is to be toward him. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. But it's through serving that role in the church family where God equips you and God provides for you and God gives you gifts to where you can use that role. By doing so, you will find fulfillment in your role within a local church. Here's why I think a lot of people are always negative about church. They show up and they leave and they're never happy. And they always have something negative and they always have something to complain about. Here's really what I think is going on. That person is not fulfilling their role. Because if that person is fulfilling their role, as God has equipped them, they're going to be too busy fulfilling their role to be negative and complaining about things. One thing. The second thing is this. If they're fulfilling their role, they're going to find fulfillment in their life. 
by doing what God has called them to do. And if everybody's fulfilling their role, guess what happens? Everybody's need gets met. <laughs> so we're taking care of people. There's no reason for them to be discouraged and depressed and, and complaining all the time because we're trying to meet their needs. And if everyone fulfills their role, that can happen in a more real way. Function in the fellowship of a church family will help you live like Jesus. It will help you if you fulfill your role, but also live in the characteristics of the family. Just like a family has certain roles in it, every family has certain characteristics. You, you can tell sometimes just by looking at the person's face, you know, at that family. Well, they all look alike, you know. That doesn't always happen because of maybe the way DNA hit or God's plan uh, for that person or whatever. But a lot of times you can look and you can say, yeah, I, I can tell that's your mom. I can tell that's your daddy. I can tell that's your brother, that's your sister, just, just by the external features. Sometimes you can tell by the way people act. <laughs> by the way they talk and things like that, there are certain characteristics that people have within a family. Well, there also should be certain characteristics that we have within the church family. And while there are many of those, I want to focus on one just for a moment, and that is loving each other. Jesus told us this. Jesus said a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Consider how better you and I could live for Christ. How much more encouraged we would be to live for Christ if we were all loving each other like we should. If we were loving each other like Christ loved us. Think about how that would encourage us and equip us to live better for Jesus. What kind of love did Jesus have? Now, he had you know, more than one, but it's primarily what? A, a sacrificial love. And if we'll have a sacrificial love for each other, putting each other first, then that will help us live more for Christ. Third thing we need to do is this. Third function of being in a church family that will help us grow and help us live for Jesus is being a witness in the world. I stopped short of reading verse 35. I read that we ought to love each other. Here's why we ought to do it. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples. If you have love for one another. What's the defining character there in that verse that people will know we're his disciples? What's the defining characteristic? What is it? We love one another. It is not on Sunday. Well, I'll get my Bible down on Sunday. I'm going to put my decoration on. I'm going to put it under my arm. <laughs> and I'm going to go to church. That's not what proves to people we're his followers, his disciples. I don't care what translation you carry. I don't care how big it is, how small it is. I don't care how you dress on the outside or whatever. That is not what proves to a lost world around us that we're his disciples. It's the love that we have for each other. And if we would love each other, as I said a moment ago, like we should, loving each other would help us live better for Jesus. So fellowship is an important characteristic. Fellowship is a very important element. How can we live better for Jesus? How do you live for Jesus after you trust him? You need to be involved in this fellowship where we teach each other, we, we encourage each other, we, we, we serve as a family together. We fill our role. The second main element that I wanted to talk about that will help you live better for Jesus is this. Discipleship. Discipleship. Now some people hear the word discipleship and they turn their brains off 
Because in their mind, they, they've been to a training union class when they were growing up, a discipleship class when they were growing up. And while they were at that discipleship class, someone got up in real monotone voice and they read to them out of the quarterly. <laughs> and you think, I don't want any of that, so you turn your brain off. That's not what I'm talking about. Discipleship basically means this, you're becoming more like Jesus. That's what discipleship means. It's being a student, a learner, a pupil of Jesus. It's learning and understanding the things that Jesus wants us to be about. In the Bible, the word, of course, refers to a follower of Jesus Christ. You and I need to be disciples. We need to be involved in discipleship to help us live better for Jesus. Jesus said something really, really serious about discipleship once. He said this in Luke chapter 14. Now, great crowds accompanying him. In other words, a bunch of people want to follow him want to be his disciples. And he turned and he said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And that's a serious, that's a hard statement, isn't it? Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. That's another hard statement. Now, I need to clarify this before some of you think I've given you ammunition to go home and hate each other. Preacher said, I'm going to love Jesus more than you. I'm supposed to hate you. I'm supposed to hate my brothers and my sisters. And that's not what he's meaning by that. I think what Jesus means by that, in a real serious way, Jesus is saying this. I have to come first. Jesus has to come first. Jesus must be in first place. Not second place, third place, 20th place, last place. If we want to be following Jesus and be his disciple, we have to have the mindset that Jesus must come first. See, living for Jesus doesn't just happen. You have to take steps in doing it. So what are some ways that we can become more like Jesus then? First one is you need to study the Scriptures. You need to study the Scriptures. Studying the Scriptures is God speaking to you. Personally, as you study on your own and corporately, as you study with a group of people in a small group or in a worship setting like we are right now, but we need to spend time studying the Scriptures in order that we might understand how to live for Jesus. So since I'm telling you we need to study the Scriptures, I'm going to give you some tips this morning about how to do it. First of all, pray. Pray. Why would you pray before you study? Because one, this is a spiritually written book. And if you're going to understand it the right way, it needs to be more than your intellect. It needs to be God helping you understand it. That's why you need to pray before you read the Bible and say, God, help me to understand you need to read it. And that might sound overly simplified, but by reading it, I'm talking about systematically. You know, it, you're not going to grow and, and live for Christ if you go home today and think, all right, preacher said, I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to read my Bible. And you read it today and you put it up on the shelf and you don't touch it again for a week. You need to read it systematically. You need to maybe choose a chapter and read verse by verse to be sure you're, you're reading it in context. Choose a book in the Bible and read it. You need to discuss it. And you may be thinking, well, how can I discuss it if I'm studying it myself? You can run questions that I'm going to give you in a moment through your mind. 
that will help you study the Bible. If you're in a group, discuss it in, in the group. And, and as you discuss it, maybe have some questions like this. What, what's the meaning? What are the lessons or instructions or what commands being taught here? What questions or difficult issues arise in the scripture that I'm reading right now? What encouragement or comfort can I find there? What does this teach me about God or about Jesus? Ask questions like that as you read. Number four, you need to research what you study. Read other translations, read commentaries, go online and research it, but research what you're studying. Number five, you need to memorize the scriptures. Before you put the excuse flags up and say, I can't remember anything, let me put mine up and say, I can't either. That's why I've got screens and notes up here. (laughs) But I do know this, if you read something and you reread it and you read it and you reread it, even though I've got notes up here, I try not to look at them a whole lot. The thing, same thing's true of scriptures. If you'll make some scripture cards, and if you'll carry them with you, if you'll put them on your refrigerator, put them on your mirror in your bathroom, put them in your car where you see it when you get in your car, whatever, you'll, you'll begin to remember some of those verses. We need to memorize it. Why is it important to memorize it? Because in the moment when temptation hits or you're facing a situation, you may not have a Bible where you can say, let me see what that said. And you can memorize it and and, and allow God to use that in your life. Number six, you need to apply the Scriptures to your life. In other words, you need to practice what you learn, what you read. Now, if you've been around here very long and taken some of our training classes, you've seen this illustration before. Uh, I'm going to do it differently today. Uh, so if you're not sitting right beside someone, maybe engage someone in front of you, behind you. If you've got your Bible, you have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, shame on you. Just because I put it on the screen doesn't mean you don't need to bring a Bible to church. I may quote Shakespeare one day and you not know the difference. If you have a Bible, I want you to get hold of it with just your little finger. Go to the next screen, please. Your little finger represents just here in the Bible. Get hold of it and hold, try and hold on to it. Now turn to your neighbor and see if they can take it away from you. I bet, this, I bet this little girl up here can take it away from me right now. Can you take that away from me? Can you grab it and pull it away from me? See? That's where we are if all we do is come to church and hear the Bible. Put your ring finger there. Hold on to it, turn to your neighbor, try and hold on to it tight, and let them pull it away from you. See if you can keep it in front. Come on, pull it. Now you're getting the point of what I'm saying, so I'm going to jump through the rest of it to save time because we've got something special here at the end of the service. But that represents hearing and reading, but we also need to study. That would represent holding it with three fingers, memorizing it with four fingers or the index, meditating upon it, thinking about what the Bible has to say. would give you a five-finger hold, but still it's just in your fingers. Apply is this. Apply is all the way in your palm, getting a firm grip on it. And when you are doing all those things, including applying the Bible, it makes it really hard for somebody to yank it out of your hand. And if you will do that in your life, if you will hear the Bible and read the Bible and study the Bible and memorize the Bible and meditate upon what the Bible says, and then why do all that if you're not going to do it? Apply the Bible to your life. I'm waiting to hear the Compton say application, application, application. 
Anytime a fly comes up in our small group, Billy gets elbowed or Billy elbows Bill Sr. because I think application has been a big word in their, in, in their house. You have to apply it. Why, why do all that if you're not going to use it? And when you're going to apply it to your life, it gives you a strong hold on the Bible in your life. And that will help you live better for Jesus. Here's seven basic questions you need to ask as you're studying the Bible. Who, in other words, who are the people in the passage? They'll help you understand what's going on. What? What are the events taking place? Where? Where's the passage located? Number one, in the Bible, and read it in context to what is taking place, or read it in context of what is happening uh, there. Why? Why did God put this in the Bible for me to read? In other words, why did God think this was important to leave it in the Bible for me to read it? Ask yourself that. When? When in history did it take place? How? How did God work in the passage? And maybe the most important one is this. Identify, try to see yourself in that passage of Scripture. And see how that passage of Scripture speaks to your life. So how can we live for Christ? We need to be involved in a fellowship, but we need to be involved in discipleship. And one step of discipleship is studying the Scriptures. The second step in discipleship is this. Is spending time in prayer. Spending time in prayer. You're speaking to God and you're taking time to listen to Him. As you're reading the Bible, God's speaking to you. But in prayer, you need to be speaking to Him. Jesus gave us a model of prayer. And I preached a whole sermon on this several weeks back, so I'm not going to spend time hanging out in this. I want to read through it, though, and I want to point out the model that Jesus gave us. He told us how not to pray to start with. He said, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so they might be seen by others. And he said, I say to you, they've got their reward. So when you pray, don't pray from the standpoint of, I want other people to think how great I am and how wonderful I pray. That's the wrong way to pray. Jesus also taught us how to pray. He said, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. He tells us what not to pray. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do. For they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. And here's why. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. You have no excuse that a lot of people give me about prayer. I don't pray a lot because I don't know how to pray. God understands that. He even knows what you need to ask before you ask Him. So go ahead and pray anyway. God knows. He understands. And he also taught us what to pray. You want to say it with me? That happens a lot at church. Let's say it together. In this manner, Jesus said, Therefore pray, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That's a model for how we ought to pray. It's not something we mindlessly just quote. It gives us a model of the things that we ought to pray about. Rick Warren recommends people use this. He calls it act up. Most of the time you're in trouble if you're acting up. Amen? But here he gives us a a model to use when we're praying. He calls it act up model. A is adoration. In other words, when you start to pray, spend some time adoring and praising God for who He is.
C stands for confession. Ask for forgiveness. Go through a time of cleansing before Him as you pray. T stands for thanksgiving. Thank God for who He is and what He's done for you. U stands for uplifting. As you are praying, you, you find encouragement as you're praying. And P stands for prayer requests, and that's you praying for yourself and others. And that's the only aspect of prayer some people ever even think about. People think prayer is just bowing before God and saying, God, I want this, I need this, somebody else needs this, and that's all they think prayer is. No, before you ever get to the point that you're asking God for something, take time to praise Him, to ask for forgiveness, to give Him thanks, to find encouragement in your life. Then give some petitions out to Him. And if we would pray like that, it would help us live better for Jesus. A quote I really like that uh, Matt Wilmington, he's uh, the director of ministries for Thomas Road Baptist Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. He gave a quote in the video this week. He said this, it is not the posture of the body, but the posture of the heart. That's important when we pray. How can we live for Jesus? You need to be involved in a church family. You need to be involved in a fellowship. How can we live for Jesus? You need to be involved in discipleship. Studying the Bible, praying, those things will will help you live better for Jesus. But there's a third thing involved in discipleship, and then we're going to close. The third thing is serving God and others. Serving God and others. If I want to live for Jesus, I need to... Act like Jesus. Does that make sense? If I'm going to live for Him, I need to be serving God and I need to be serving others. Ephesians 2.10 says, We're His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, God made us. He made us as believers in Christ, through faith in Christ. For the purpose of good works that he pre-planned in advance for us to walk in and do in our lives. Living for Christ involves acting like Jesus. And the truth of it is this. If you don't serve, you're going to become stagnant in your life. If you don't serve, you're going to be soured in your life because you're not fulfilling your purpose. A lot of you have heard this illustration before. The Dead Sea in the Middle East does not have life in it because it is a stagnant body of water. The reason it is a stagnant body of water is this. The Dead Sea only receives and it never gives out. And it holds everything for itself. So you and I as believers, if all we do is receive and we never give out, we'll be stagnant believers. And that's why in order for us to live for Jesus, we need to be serving. Here's a problem that Christians have with their mindset, I think. Believers will think, okay, well, Jesus died on the cross for my soul. And now that I've trusted in him, my soul is going to heaven when I die. And while that is true, Jesus did die, so your soul will go to heaven. When Jesus died on the cross, he bought more than your soul. He bought you. He bought you. He bought your talents. He bought your abilities. He paid for all that you are on the cross. And if you're going to live for Him, you need to understand that living for Jesus involves His example 
of sacrificing Himself on the cross. And you and I need to live sacrificially. Understanding He owns it all. He owns our money. He owns our time. He owns our talents. He owns it all. And if we have that as our mindset, that will help us live for Jesus. How do I live for Christ is a question. Number one, you need to be involved in a church fellowship. You need to be in the church family. To where you can be taught and you can teach others. To where you can be encouraged and you can encourage others. To where you can serve your role, your function in a church family. Number two, you need to be part of discipleship. You need to be growing to be more like Jesus. Study the scriptures. Spend time in prayer. Spend time serving God and serving others. Living for Jesus really means this. It means you're focused on following Him instead of the world. The youth are going to do a skit right now, and then we'll have the invitation on the other side of the skit that I think will depict for you what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to be distracted by the world and start following the world. If we're going to live for Jesus, we're going to have to live for Him and not the world. I want to give you a warning up front that in with this skit, uh, there will be a part of the skit that has a strobe light in it. Some people don't respond well to strobe lights. You know, so if you're a person that doesn't respond well to a strobe light, I need to let you know that so you don't freak out when the strobe light starts. <laughs> Father, we pray you use this skit right now to speak to us and show us how we need to better follow you and live for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.